This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. guys and welcome to the moms and mysteries podcast a true crime podcast featuring myself mandy and my dear friend melissa hi melissa hi mandy how are you i'm great i i'm back in the correct timeline this week i think oh my gosh (laughs) i just looked to see i put up a poll to see like who thought you were in the correct timeline this is from last week's uh last thing before you go if you haven't listened you'll want to definitely listen to that (laughs) um whether mandy just forgot a time to pick her kids up or whether there was like a a timeline lapse a timeline change it's your thing. What is it called? <laughs> Jumping timelines. <laughs> okay. Sure. Much better. So I, on my timeline, can't find the poll results now, but I know there was like 30% of people that thought like, definitely you were not wrong, but See? you had jumped time. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. That doesn't make it right. Oh, yeah. It just means that a third of people like conspiracy theories like you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. So it is, um, in fact, Friday today. Now we're recording oh. on a Friday. And I picked my children up from school at 12 p.m., which wow. is the time that they've apparently always gotten off. I don't know what happened. When I jumped you know, timelines two weeks ago. I'm just realizing now that you said something about picking up your kids at 12 or 1230 and I didn't even catch it because I was like, okay. Oh, yeah. at 12 and not 1230. That's what you said. I didn't even catch the joke. Sorry about that. Yes. Um. Yes. So we have kind of a little more in that realm, right? For last thing before we go this week. We kind do. of in that same family. Can't wait for that. And Mandy, we're so excited to announce that we've been invited back to CrimeCon. Yay! Yay! Uh, This year, 2024, they are holding it at the Gaylord in Nashville, and the dates are May 31st through June 2nd. So if you had FOMO last year, and or you just don't like the heat in Florida, check out the heat in Nashville. (laughs) I was going to say, I don't know if they're going to escape the heat too much. (laughs) Yeah, just feel heat in a different state. Yeah. Um, If you go to crimecon.com, you will find information about the 2024 CrimeCon. And if you use our code MOMS, you get 10% off a standard ticket, I believe. And we can't wait. We're so excited. It's even less than a year since the last one. I'm yes. super pumped. I know. Me too. I'm really excited. And we have gone to another podcast convention in Nashville yeah. and have stayed at the Gaylord before and really enjoyed our stay there. So I'm really looking forward to going back and staying again. It's like its own world. You don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. You can take a boat ride in the middle of the hotel. I mean, I guess I'm just not used to like bougie things. Right. I'm like, Me too. I know. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> I'm like, there's Every- like a whole garden inside. Like what's happening right now? <laughs> Multiple restaurants. There is one problem. They only serve Pepsi products. But I remember this this time, so I will come prepared. But um, otherwise, it's a perfect it's perfect. It's a yes. perfect place to go. So we'd love to see you there. Absolutely. Let us know if you're going and please use our code MOMS. Of course. So this week we have another just really unbelievable story. It kind of reminded me of the story that we just covered a couple of weeks ago about Heidi Furcus yeah. with her husband who was keeping this massive secret and it eventually led to her being killed. This story is kind of similar. It's kind of like another like big secret kind of story that comes out and it just turned, you know, everything snowballed and turned into a complete tragedy. But it's absolutely just another wild ride of a story. The story begins in a quiet town called Middle Grove, Missouri on April 27th, 2018, when a lively 35-year-old bride-to-be was found dead on a quiet gravel road just two days before her wedding. She had been shot execution style. 
Inside of Molly Watson's car, police found documents related to her impending wedding to 51-year-old James Addy, who Molly had been dating on and off for seven years. Molly had been meticulously planning the perfect wedding day with all the arrangements already set in stone for the venue, the catering, hair, makeup, literally everything else you could imagine for the wedding of her dreams. Molly had been married once before for a short while in her early 20s, but when she and her first husband got pregnant with their son, their relationship started to falter, and they eventually separated. Molly began dating a woman named Amber for the next five years, and together they raised Molly's son. During this time, Molly, who had a bachelor's and a master's degree in psychology, began working as a corrections officer at Moberly Correctional Center, where she met James Addy, who was a lieutenant corrections officer, and he was 16 years older than her. Molly ended up falling head over heels in love with James, and they started having an affair. One day, Amber caught them in a hotel room together, and soon they broke up and Molly moved back home with her parents. For the next seven years, Molly and James had this on-again, off-again relationship. James, a father of two, was going through a divorce when he and Molly first met, but finally James had proposed to Molly. Although Molly was beyond excited for this new chapter in her life, her friends and family really struggled to even see what she saw in James. Molly was known for always just being bright and cheerful. She was the epitome of bubbly and pleasant, but James, on the other hand, gave off kind of a different vibe. He did get to meet Molly's family several times over the years that they were dating, but they always said they never felt like they really got to know him. And after seven years, you should feel like you really know your your family member's partner. Right, especially because she was very close with her family, so for her future spouse not to be is kind of strange. Yeah. So her parents later described James as being even evasive when he was asked a question and said he just seemed very standoffish, which is actually something that a lot of people who knew the couple would say about him and this contrast between their two personalities. James wouldn't even look people in the eye sometimes when he was talking to them. Soon after James proposed to Molly, tragedy struck when he informed her that his ex-wife had been critically injured in a car accident during the 2017 Christmas holiday, and she had been put on life support. Although this news was terrible and unexpected, the couple continued planning their wedding, which was set for April 29, 2018. In January of 2018, Molly met with an event coordinator at the Stony Creek Inn to start planning the wedding, which would have about 70 people in attendance. They met up two or three times to go over their plans. Throughout this process, Molly booked a caterer to serve prime rib and fruit cobbler for dessert. She also booked a hairstylist, a makeup artist, and more. Molly even bought two different wedding dresses because she wasn't really able to pick between them. And she actually went on to design her own centerpieces that were these hummingbird candles inside a glass hurricane vase on a wood base. Molly was incredibly excited for her wedding, and she really talked about it nonstop. She was constantly gushing about James and how in love she was and how much she just couldn't wait to be married to him. She was also excited to become a stepmom to James's daughter and even told the hair and makeup artist that his daughter might also be in the wedding and would need to have her hair and makeup done as well. As the wedding date started getting closer and closer, It seemed like James may be having some cold feet, but then in an unexpected turn of events, one week before the wedding, James told Molly that his ex-wife was being taken off life support. He told her that he was helping his children take care of funeral arrangements. And although the timing was extremely unfortunate, there really wasn't much that could be done with this wedding date being so close. Everything at this point has been booked and paid for, and they were down to the final days before they said, I do. Oh my gosh, I cannot imagine being in that situation. I know. And just like, if you're thinking from his point of view, like your kids have now had this awful tragedy, and now you're getting married, this happy experience, like the juxtaposition of those two things is, it's hard to even imagine. The next day, April 25th, Molly went down to the Randolph County Recorder's office to apply for a marriage license. She was happy and bubbly and really seemed to be in great spirits. The recorder later said she had a great conversation with Molly until James showed up. He got there a little later than she did, and when he arrived, he seemed annoyed and really acted cold the whole time. 
James got even more annoyed when he was asked how many times he'd been married, which is a question they ask you when you're filling out your marriage license. Finally, he fills out the form and he reports that this would be his fifth marriage and that his most recent marriage ended in divorce in October of 2017. Both he and Molly signed the application stating that they were free to marry under the laws of Missouri. On April 26, Molly contacted the wedding coordinator and let her know that the final guest count was down to 43 people. Again, they had 70 people originally. The coordinator later said it was strange to see the number of guests drop off so close to the wedding. Really, that's when you're hearing like, can I bring a plus one or this person's in town? And like all these other people are coming last minute. So the final guest list Molly sent the coordinator included James's children, but Molly explained that James's daughter was going to have a friend do her hair and makeup so she wouldn't be needing hair and makeup services. On April 27th at around noon, James sent Molly a text letting her know that his ex-wife's funeral was going to be the following day, the 28th. Keep in mind, the wedding day was the 29th, so everything is happening extremely quickly. And honestly, poor Molly, from her perspective, yeah. like... There's no way that does not put just like a big damper on your wedding day. Like that's just such a hard thing, like I said, to be in or to, you know, the situation at hand is just like absolutely terrible. How can you enjoy your wedding day when you're the man you're marrying is going through like the mother of his child is passed on and like they have to have a funeral and like there's no way to make that a better situation. Beyond that, think about the kids. Like, are they now living with James? Like, now this co-parenting thing is out the window. So do they now both have – you know what I mean? It changes the dynamic. It changes everything. There's a lot of things that need to be figured out. Yeah. So James told Molly that his nerves were shot and he was going to pick up some people from the St. Louis airport that were coming in town for this funeral. At 12.54 p.m., this is on the 28th, he texted Molly – I think I'm going to see you tonight. Later that afternoon, James went to the wedding venue to drop off some decorations, and he also made a $4,000 payment, which was enough to almost pay off the whole remaining balance for the wedding and the reception. James then called Molly again at 826, but she didn't answer. She called him right back at 830, and then a short time later, she told her parents she was going to meet up with James. Molly left her parents' house in a tank top wearing no bra, she had on pajama pants and shoes, but she never returned home that night. It was around 9.25 p.m. when a man named Glenn decided to take a shortcut down County Road 930. This is a one-lane gravel road near Middle Grove. This road is very remote. There's trees on both sides and a lot of overgrown vegetation, and there's even part of the road that requires you to drive your car through a small creek to get to the other side, which would immediately be a no for me. (laughs) I feel like when you say car, what you mean is truck, because there's no way people are going. Or your horse and buggy or something. (laughs) A horse and buggy. (laughs) Or like a four-wheeler. There's other things, but like, yeah, when I was, um, I watched like a clip of somebody driving through this and I was like, oh, that's serious. Like, yeah, you got to have a truck. You got to have four wheel drive. Yeah. So it's a very rural road to say the least. I would say road is a generous term to use. There's obviously totally no like technology or safety mechanisms or like street lamps or, you know, painted lines and road. road. Nothing. Like, it's not a road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so it also goes without saying that it's extremely dark out on this path. While driving down this road, Glenn came upon two cars near the creek crossing. One of the cars was facing towards him, and the other car was facing away from him. So the car that was facing towards him began to approach him, while the other car stayed parked. So Glenn asked the driver of this oncoming car if somebody was stuck in the road. It must have looked to him like, hey, somebody probably got stuck in the creek. So this man that had pulled up in the oncoming vehicle, um, Glenn described as being an older white man and said he was driving an older, dark four-door car. He also described it as being a grandma-type car. And he said that the man just said to him, I don't know where they're at. It's going to be a while. So Glenn couldn't get a good look at this man's face because it was so dark, but he did notice that the man appeared to be older. So this mysterious man then gets back in his car and reverses back towards the other vehicle that was still parked in the road. And since now these two cars are obstructing this not road road, Glenn can't pass. So he has to reverse out and go back the way he came in. So about 40 minutes later, Glenn 
still couldn't shake the feeling that something was really off about the whole thing, and he decided he was going to drive back out to this location. This time, though, he only found one of the cars still there, and it was the one that had been parked the first time. At 10.05 p.m., he noticed the lifeless body of a woman laying on the road in front of the car. Glenn immediately dialed 911, and after being asked by the operator to check on the woman, he confirmed that she had no pulse and she was dead. It would soon be learned that the woman was Molly Watson. The first officers from the Monroe County Sheriff's Department arrived at 10.22 p.m., and they spoke to Glenn. Glenn explained what he had seen earlier that night when he was driving down the road and told them about this suspicious older white man that he spoke to briefly. The sheriff looked around and noticed that the woman was lying in the roadway on her back. There was blood on the ground and a significant amount of dirt on her backside. The officer also noticed drag marks in the gravel, and it was also noted that the woman was wearing an engagement ring. The woman's head was covered in blood, and it appeared that she had been bludgeoned to death, but an autopsy would later reveal the true cause of death, which was a single gunshot to the back of the head. It was determined that the gun was put directly to her head when it was fired, and the bullet was recovered from her head during the autopsy. Unfortunately, though, the projectile was too damaged to be useful in finding a match. All they could really tell was that it was from a smaller caliber pistol, either a 22, a 32, or a 17. Highway Patrol was called to the scene to conduct an investigation. They were unable to find any shell casings at the scene, but they did find tire tracks in some soft clay dirt a few feet from where Molly's body was found. Two O's could be seen in the imprint left in the soil, which was determined to be the double O in the word Goodyear for Goodyear Tires. These tracks did not match the tires on Molly's car, so they thought that these must have been from the second vehicle with this unknown man that was driving it. Inside Molly's car, they found her purse with cash inside, but they didn't find her cell phone. There was also blood found in her car and a bunch of documents related to her impending nuptials. One of these items was a receipt for James's final tux fitting on April 27th with a use date of April 29th, and this receipt listed James's full name. The marriage license with both of their names was also found in the car. Police looked up on an online registry and confirmed that Molly and James were to be married just two days later. But what they couldn't figure out was why Molly was on this dark, desolate road alone and also who would want her dead. Molly's purse, cash, car, and engagement ring were all left behind, so they were clear that, you know, robbery was not the motive. When officers arrived to inform Molly's parents that she'd been killed, they were absolutely devastated. Investigators requested that the cell phone provider ping Molly's phone, which ended up being found several miles from her body on Route M. Officers also found an empty box of Thunderbolt 22 caliber ammo about 0.1 miles away from the phone. Since there was evidence that Molly was about to get married, an officer went to James's address to tell him the heartbreaking news that his fiance had been found dead. After driving for 30 minutes to get there, officers arrived at 2.45 a.m. on what was now April 28th, and it was at this point that investigators got the biggest surprise you could possibly imagine. James answered the door in a robe, and the officer told him that his fiance Molly Watson had been found dead. James led the officer inside, and to the officer's bewilderment, another woman appeared. She introduced herself as James's wife, which James confirmed and said that they had been married for 23 years. So the officers were literally shocked at what they were hearing. They've just come from this horrific scene where this woman has been murdered. They've seen all these documents in her car and a marriage license showing that James was getting married to Molly in less than 48 hours. But here he was now telling them he's actually been married for over two decades to somebody else. So when James's wife, Melanie, asks what the heck is going on right now, James tells her that Molly was his girlfriend and... Melanie is absolutely in disbelief. You know, the police are just showing up in the middle of the night. She's finding out that her husband's not only having an affair, but has been engaged and that this other woman has just been found dead. So I can't imagine how hard that would be to even process oh my at 245 in the morning. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> One of these things is too much, but all of these things together and in the middle of the night, 
I can't imagine. Yeah. So if you're following along, you're probably also confused about this, um, considering that James told Molly he divorced his wife before she got into a terrible accident, fell into a coma, and literally died all within, you know, had died within the previous week. So all of that was a lie. Not only was Melanie, his wife, alive and well, she was still very much married and living with James and had absolutely no clue about Molly for the entire seven years that this affair was going on. Like, this guy is an absolute monster. Yeah. At this point, James moves to the very top of the suspect list for obvious reasons, and the police sat him down and wanted to just talk to him alone. They learned that James was a former Marine and was considered an advanced scout sniper and a qualified expert on the Barrett M82 sniper rifle. He left the Marines after Desert Storm, so about early 1991, and then worked as a mechanic at a factory before going to work at Moberly Correctional Center, where he earned the rank of lieutenant. By the time James met Molly, he'd been married four times, but he told her that he was divorced from his fourth wife, who was also the mother of his children. And as we know now, that was blatantly untrue. He was actively raising a family with Melanie in a rural little house in Santa Fe, Missouri. And boy, do we have more to get into with this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Time for a weather report. At least two times this week, it was under 55 degrees here. Brutal, I know. And do you know the last thing that was on my mind? leaving my warm house to pick up groceries. And some of you have slightly colder temperatures that you're dealing with, so I'm sure you feel the same. Why not stay home and let Hungry Root handle grocery shopping and meal planning for you? Whether you're looking to save time or money or just not leave the house, Hungry Root has you covered. On top of that, if your New Year's resolution included more healthy eating, Hungry Root really is the way to go. Hungry Root is the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality food delivered right to your door. Not only do they have healthy groceries and easy-to-make recipes, seriously, like only a couple minutes of prep per meal, but they will also recommend recipes and groceries that are based on your tastes. Simply take a fun, short quiz, and Hungry Root will get to know you and your family and how you like to eat. I really love that they asked even what kitchen appliances I had, as well as whether or not we had food allergies, so I'm not stuck with a new recipe where I'm having to figure out how to substitute an egg for yet another meal. In my first box, I got four different meals, as well as several groceries, allowing me to skip the grocery store for several days. And one of the meals that I really liked was the simple sirloin steak quesadilla. The key is, it's simple. It's literally in the name. It had four ingredients, including fully cooked grass-fed beef sirloin steaks. In total, I had a dinner my family actually liked on the table in 12 minutes. It was the perfect home-cooked meal, and I can't wait to order again. Right now, Hunger Root is offering Moms and Mysteries listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash moms to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash moms. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. Step into the glitzy world of June's journey and prepare for an adventure that's out of this world. Get ready to ditch the dull and dive into a world where mystery meets glamour and where June Parker's drama-filled escapades will have you hooked faster than you can say, flapper dress. Whether you're itching for a whodunit fix or just craving an escape from the mundane, June's journey is your ticket to excitement. Follow June as she unravels family secrets and untangles the web of mystery surrounding her sister's death. It's like joining a high society soiree, but with way more intrigue and way fewer dull conversations about the weather. Just kidding. You know we love a weather chat. So slip into your virtual flapper dress and immerse yourself in a world where every corner holds a new clue and every twist keeps you guessing. But hold on to your pearls because June's journey isn't just another run-of-the-mill mobile game. I'm already knee-deep in the fifth chapter of June's journey, and each chapter is more fun than the last. From the breathtaking scenery to the toe-tapping music, everything about June's journey screams class. So what are you waiting for? Step into June's world and let the adventure begin. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. And now back to the episode. So before the break, police have gone to James's home and told him, informed him that his fiance Molly, who he was with for seven years, is dead. And also, by the way, his wife Melanie is learning that 
her husband James had a fiance named Molly. So all of this is happening in a very short period of time. So back into the story, throughout their seven-year relationship, James always maintained that he was getting a divorce. And eventually, he began saying the divorce was final. But in reality, he was really just living a double life. He was seeing Molly quite often and would use excuses like that he was going out with friends. James also had two phones, his regular phone that was for everyday use, and then a purple flip phone that his wife had no clue about. And he used this phone only to communicate with Molly. They spoke on the phone and texted back and forth every day. They even went on vacation together multiple times. One time they went to Mexico and James told his family that he was going there with some of his work friends. Another time, they came down here to sunny Orlando, Florida, and visited Discovery Cove, and for that trip, he told his wife he had to attend sniper training for work. At the correctional facility? I mean, uh, the whole thing is just wild, but he even shows her this official-looking letter that he printed out that detailed the trip, so why would you even question it? Like, this guy was... He was a master manipulator, to be quite honest, and he went so far as even to introduce Molly to his daughter. And on this like introduction or whatever, Molly actually helps his daughter make a costume, and he introduces Molly as a friend from work. So involving your kids in this too. I mean, obviously the kid has no idea, but my goodness. When James was sat down and told to explain himself, he said that he knew Molly from working at the prison together and that they'd actually been in a relationship for the past seven years and they had plans to get married on April 29th. I mean, I guess all he can really do is like tell the truth because clearly like the police have these documents, but it blows my mind that he's like, yeah, I have been married for 23 years. And yes, I was also planning on getting married tomorrow like you know like what i don't see the problem what's the issue here (laughs) yeah it is wild how quickly he he is fessing up to this stuff you know knowing what it's all pointing to and knowing that he's been lying for seven years and now you're going to be honest kind of weird yeah the officer then asked him why on earth he was planning to marry molly when he was already married to melanie and james said he got himself into something he shouldn't have for seven years I mean, just Unreal. it's just wild. Um, so James began to sweat profusely while he's speaking to this officer to the point they actually have to open up a window, put a box fan on it, and, you know, blow cold air onto him just to keep him calm, I guess. So he said that he had left his house at 7 p.m. on April 27th in his 2000 Maroon Mercury Sable. He was going to visit a friend to pick up an avocado tree, but the friend wasn't home, so he went back to his house at 825. He said when he left the house, he was wearing gym pants and camo boots. James admitted that his wife had no idea about this affair with Molly. He talked about all the wedding planning that had been going on for over a year and said he hadn't seen Molly in person for several days, but they had communicated earlier that day using his secret purple flip phone. James showed officers proof that he had been in touch with Molly that day, including a text that he sent her at 8.24 p.m. and an incoming call from Molly at 8.30 p.m. where they spoke for 22 minutes. James also sent a text that read, Night, night, sweetheart. I'll talk to you in the morning. There was also a missed call on Molly's phone at 10.30 p.m. And officers, of course, took this purple flip phone and turned it into evidence. James allowed the investigators to search his vehicle, which was parked in his garage with the hood up. The car was covered in dust both outside and inside, and the tires of the car were consistent with the tire tracks at the scene of Molly's murder. They also noticed these lines going through the dust on one side of the car, and they determined that that was from the tall grass on the embankment sweeping across the side of the vehicle as he was driving through it. Officers photographed the car and the tire tread and tested the inside of the car for gunshot residue. They did find one particle of gunshot residue in the car. Later that night, James was arrested and charged with first-degree murder and armed criminal action. After being booked into the Monroe County Jail while he awaited trial, he told two fellow inmates that he was there for putting someone face down in a ditch. As officers worked to gather more evidence at the crime scene, they found a white t-shirt lying in the middle of a county road a few miles from where Molly's body was found. This shirt had a partial outline of the Missouri state border with writing across the front that said Skills USA. The shirt looked brand new and unworn, but it did have bloodstains on it, so it was collected and sent off for testing, but they didn't know how crucial this evidence would actually be until later. 
Molly's home was searched and police found further proof of all the wedding planning that had already happened. It was clear that Molly was preparing for the best day of her life. They found a seating chart for the reception, they found her wedding dress, and other wedding-related items, such as a custom hanger that read Mrs. Addie. Many photos of James and Molly were found among other items that suggested a romantic relationship between them, including cards from James that said things like, you're the love of my life, and I adore you. When the news broke that James had been arrested, Molly's family told KOMU that they just wanted to know why James felt like he had to kill her. They said they knew that knowing wouldn't bring Molly back, but they just simply couldn't wrap their heads around why James would have ever wanted to hurt her. With James behind bars, investigators were able to interview more people and run more tests on the physical evidence that all re-corroborated that James was responsible for Molly's death. James's wife and daughter told police they had no idea James had been living a double life. James's son was off at college when this all was happening, but of course, he didn't know about Molly either. Melanie thought James was a dedicated husband who was loyal to her. She never expected an affair and saw absolutely no signs that he was living this double life. She said he seemed the same all the time, and they really never had any disagreements that they couldn't work out. While she did say they had a mostly normal marriage, she said that James could be manipulative and controlling in some ways because he wanted a quote-unquote traditional wife. But in his mind, that meant he got to dictate everything Melanie did, and he would often tell her exactly what he expected of her. So while James was free to go on these trips with his work friends, he would never allow Melanie to go on vacations with her friends because he said this would give her an opportunity to cheat on him. This is like classic, like, I feel like, isn't that what people say? They're like, oh, when when people try and do this in a relationship or they tell you you can't do certain things because you might cheat on them, it's really because they're doing the exact same thing. Like, literally, that's exactly what he was doing. He was lying and saying he's going on trips with his work friends, and really, he was going and seeing Molly, his girlfriend. It's wild. And then she's having to listen to this and think, oh, I don't want my husband to think this about me. So she's not going to push the issue. So according to Melanie, James couldn't sit still, and he was often going out to see friends. He'd get off work at three, but normally wouldn't get home until after five. And if Melanie ever questioned where, you know, where he was during this time, an argument would ensue. Despite all this, she said she never suspected an affair. Melanie told police, though, that she actually could see James killing Molly as a way out of this hole that he dug himself into with the engagement and the wedding. So Melanie was asked by police to rehash the events of April 27th. She said that she ran errands and had dinner with James, who was dressed in blue jeans, a black jacket, and boots. She said the jacket belonged to her father, and she hadn't seen it again since that night, even though she had searched her house for it. Officers made note that Melanie's description of James's outfit was a complete contradiction to what James told them he was wearing, which was gym pants and camo boots. After dinner, James left the house around 7 p.m. and told Melanie he was going to a friend's house. But by the time he got home, Melanie was in bed asleep. Melanie searched through her house after James was arrested just to see if she could find anything. I imagine this has to be so maddening. And you're just like looking for anything that you would have missed or, you know, how well was this hidden? I I truly cannot imagine being in this position. And she ends up finding this photo album that's full of pictures of James and Molly hidden inside a locked chest in the loft of their garage. She also found some of Molly's belongings. Melanie noticed that James's handgun, which he normally kept in the bedside table, was missing. She also handed over his cell phone for investigators to search through. Melanie visited James in jail one time, which was a few weeks after his arrest. He apologized for the affair, but claimed his innocence in the murder. After this, Melanie ended up filing for a divorce. Good for you, girl. Yes. James's daughter confirmed that her dad was always going to visit his friends, but said his friends never came to visit their house. She said that she recalled her dad getting home at 10 p.m. on the night of the 27th, not 8.25 like he had told the police. She was up doing homework when he came in, and it was due at a specific time, so she was actually paying close attention to the clock, and she is sure that he got home at 10 p.m., Not long after he got home, his daughter noticed that he appeared anxious, and he started a load of laundry with bleach shortly after arriving, and he also got in the shower around the same time. Both of these things, the doing the laundry and showering, were 
really not that unusual for James to be doing that late at night. But also that could make sense if he's always trying to hide his affair. It would make sense that he always comes in late and he's like throwing his clothes in the wash and all that. But it's just sad that his daughter was like, actually, he did do that all the time. Like it's... Yeah, that was normal. Right. According to the daughter, James only parked his car in the garage in the winter or if he was working on it. And it would only have the hood up while it was parked if he was working on it. So this happened in April, which means it was kind of strange that he had the car parked in the garage with the hood up. She also said that James kept a gun in his glove box, but when officers checked there, they didn't find one. When James's house was searched, a lot of evidence was uncovered that pointed to his guilt. A white t-shirt that said Skills USA was found in James's gun closet, and it matched the shirt that was found on the road on the night of Molly's murder. So this shirt was actually very interesting because it pretty much definitively tied him to the t-shirt that they found um, on the road with blood on it because they learned that his daughter actually made both of those t-shirts in a graphic design class. And those were just messed up versions because something about the alignment was off. So she just brought the t-shirts home and gave them to her dad. So there was only really two of them in existence. They have this like specific design. So it's clearly from his house. So phone records on James's phone showed that a series of texts were sent from one of James's phones to the other phone. So he's like texting himself with each of his cell phones so (laughs) i do text myself from my computer to my phone i do that too right like there are times then yes i find that to be very normal right but continue not in this context (laughs) right (laughs) so texts from the purple flip phone that was the one he used to communicate only with molly were sent to james's regular phone and they said have a meeting tonight at eight normal place you have to be there bring those manuals Sounds very chaotic, but the investigators think this was an attempt at creating an alibi of some kind. Again, very chaotic. So other texts sent shortly before 6 p.m. said things like, let's go, man, which police don't really have an explanation for other than like they think he could have been psyching himself up for the murder. But like that's wild. That that is definitely disturbing. Yes, very disturbing. So interestingly, though, no activity was found on either one of his phones from 8.25 to 9.33 p.m., which is the time during which officers do believe Molly was killed. James sent several texts to Molly's phone between 9.33 and 10.52 when he sent the night-night text. Between 10.08 and 10.30, he called Molly's phone four times, but each call was only logged for three to four seconds, which isn't even enough time to, like, to connect the call like or for it to go to voicemail yeah. or anything. So it's like basically he just like hit call and then hit end like right away. Right. So, of course, Molly didn't pick up any of these calls. And it really just seemed like they were just staged as part of an alibi. Right. So although there was plenty of evidence against James, it was still unclear how Molly ended up on the dirt road. So they turned to her phone data to help them understand more about what happened. It was learned that Molly missed a call from James at 826 that evening, but she called him back at 830. They talked for 22 minutes, but according to Molly's parents, she had already left their home at that time and she was going to meet with James. An app on Molly's car called DriveSense, it's one of those things that you can put on your phone that helps lower your car insurance. It like, I've I've had the, like our insurance has asked us if we want to do it, but that like tracks your speed, tracks your direction, like they get a lot of information from that. And DriveSense actually logged that Molly left home at 8.32 p.m. and stopped driving at 8.54 p.m. A map of the drive was provided by the app and it showed that Molly's location at 8.54 was the same place her body was found. She was on the phone with James for that entire drive until two minutes before she arrived. Interestingly, the spot where her body was found was almost a perfect halfway point between Molly and James's house, and James had a straight shot home from the spot. Nothing in Molly's phone suggested she would have been going out to meet anyone other than James that night, so investigators theorized that James called her, she got into the car while talking to him, drove down the dirt road, and was subsequently shot by James when she arrived. While looking through Molly's phone, they found out that she may have been suspicious in catching on to James's lies because she had apparently been searching for information about Melanie's death on April 26th. Melanie, of course, wasn't dead. And uh, Mandy, you have a note here that that doesn't really mean she was necessarily on to him because we just have this curiosity in ourselves where we Google things. I'll find myself on people's Facebook pages that I got 
there because I went from like brother, cousin, and I don't uh-huh. know how I ended up on this person's page. But like if anyone were to go and be like, what were you doing on so-and-so's Facebook page? I would look really stupid just being like – you wouldn't even literally know how you got nothing. There. Exactly. I would be like, I don't know. I'm just nosy and just click and read things <laughs> that are none of my business. Like that's the plain but, truth, you know. <laughs> and also, I don't think it's that weird because say she died and maybe she wanted information about the funeral, right. like that makes, or maybe she wanted to send flowers. Whatever. Like there could be really legitimate reasons why you'd be looking up with that. So I, I don't know if I buy it either. Results from the physical evidence only strengthen the case against James. Analysis of the tire track confirmed that it was a match to the rear passenger tire of James's Mercury Sable, and DNA testing of the Skills USA t-shirt revealed 42 bloodstains that were determined to be a mixture of two individuals' DNA. Molly's DNA was found to be the major component of this blood. The shirt also had traces of gunshot residue on it. Obviously, though, the question was, how did Molly's blood end up on a t-shirt that only James had access to if he wasn't the one who shot her? And we still have more to get into after one last break to hear word from this week's sponsors. Forget New Year, New Me. How about New Year, Fresh Me, thanks to Lumi Whole Body Deodorant. There's really no amount of perfume in the world that can mask certain odors like your pits or your feet, but that's where Lumi can really come in and save the day. Lumi is clinically proven to block odor all day long and control odor for up to 72 hours. That's a whole lot of Reddit rabbit holes I can go on before I even need to reapply. Lumi was created by an OBGYN who was seeing firsthand that normal body odor was not only being misdiagnosed, but it was also being mistreated. What I personally love about Lumi is that it can be used everywhere and anywhere. And just like how all humans come in different shapes and sizes, so does Lumi. From solid stick deodorant to deodorant wipes, which are my personal favorite, Lumi is always there for you when you need it. I keep Lumi wipes in my gym bag because you never know when a trip to the gym is going to turn into a trip to the gym, to the grocery store, and then to Target. Lumi is also baking soda and paraben-free and pH balanced for safe use above and below the belt. And it's truly for any part of your body that can be a little less than fresh, like your feet, pits, even your underboobs and belly button. Lumi Starter Pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi Starter Pack with code MOMS at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code MOMS. Want to get away? Yeah. I do too, but since that's not really on the agenda anytime soon, I'll have to settle for a different kind of journey, and you can too, all with a fun mobile game. June's Journey allows you to enter the realm of June Parker, where an extraordinary adventure awaits. Best of all, no plane tickets needed. Say goodbye to the ordinary and immerse yourself in a world where intrigue meets elegance, courtesy of the drama-filled exploits of June Parker. Whether you're in need of a riveting mystery or simply yearning to escape the monotony of everyday life, June's journey is your gateway to excitement. Follow June as she unravels hidden family secrets and navigates the intricate web surrounding her sister's demise. It's sort of like an upscale soiree minus the dull weather discussions, although we secretly enjoy those too. But hold on to your pearls as June's journey is no ordinary mobile game. I'm deep in the fifth chapter, with each section proving more enjoyable than the last. From the awe-inspiring scenery to the catchy tunes, every aspect of June's journey exudes sophistication and refinement. Don't hesitate any longer. Step into June's world and let the thrilling adventure commence. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. How's that saying go? Failing to plan is planning to fail. And as much as I'd like to pretend I could just wing it through life, I know that I can't. But no matter how much planning I do, if I can't get a good night's sleep to execute it, all the planning in the world couldn't save me. And I'm sure you've been there before too. But thanks to Magnesium Breakthrough, no matter what my day looks like, I know I can go into it being well rested and feeling great. For me personally, taking Magnesium Breakthrough before I go to bed has helped me solve some of those sleep problems, including that winding down after a long day, as well as tossing and turning while I'm rehashing literally every second of the day. 
And while there are a lot of magnesium supplements out there, only one can give you all seven forms of magnesium that are designed to help calm your mind and help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up feeling refreshed. And that is Magnesium Breakthrough. For an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to bioptimizers.com slash moms. Do it now. Your body and brain will thank you. Again, that's bioptimizers.com slash moms and use promo code moms during checkout to save 10%. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were just talking about all the evidence that has been compounding really and pointing to James being guilty of murdering his fiance, Molly Watson. So finally, in April of 2021, it was time for James to go to trial. His trial began on April 26th, which was almost exactly three years after the brutal killing. Sadly, Molly's parents both passed away before the trial, but her brother was in attendance. That's heartbreaking. That was for them to miss this part. Yeah. I mean, they've already been through so much, I but know. for neither of them to make it really sad. Yeah. Prosecutors began by detailing all the plans Molly had been making for her wedding day and went on to describe the two separate lives that James had been living. They said the engagement and wedding planning with Molly is what ultimately set these two lives on a collision course with each other. At the end of it all, James picked his wife, Melanie, and made the choice to kill Molly to get himself out of this whole situation. All of the evidence we discussed was laid out for the jury, and they got to hear testimony from Melanie as well as the daughter she shared with James. James's defense claimed that he was innocent and said there wasn't enough evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that James pulled the trigger and killed Molly, which I always like am like, it just baffles me when you hear this defense when there video? is a lot of evidence. You know, I'm like, what are you talking about? Are we even looking at the same case? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> So they did admit that James was having this affair with Molly, but they said James actually was in love with Molly and he wouldn't have killed her. They claimed that law enforcement just jumped to conclusions when they found out about the affair, but those conclusions were not accurate. They said that James was arrested before he even knew how Molly had died. Furthermore, they talked about how cooperative James had been when the police wanted to question him and search his home and car. They said he had no motive to kill Molly, I guess, except for the fact that he was already married. And he was supposed to get married two days later and somebody's right. going to figure this out in two days. Right. So they also, this is like so delusional to me. They His defense also said that the wedding planning was going well. And James had even paid $4,000 towards their wedding balance on the day of the murder, which of course, you know, he wouldn't do that as part of an elaborate alibi. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, like, that's like the perfect part of the alibi to me. Exactly. To me, I'm hearing $4,000 and I'm like, dang, that is a lot of money mm -hmm. if you know you're not going to go through it. Yeah, but that's a small price to pay if he thinks he's going to get away with murder. Totally. Yeah. So according to the defense, there was no evidence to suggest that James was guilty and the tire track evidence wasn't even based in science. They actually really focused on this, the tire track evidence, probably because that was something that could actually tie James to the scene, you know, matching the tire tracks yeah. to his car, whereas some of the other evidence could be explained away or at least attempted to be explained away. But the defense did not present any evidence of their own. They just cross-examined the state witnesses, which I feel like is never really a good look. And James didn't take the stand either. Yeah. But it is up to the prosecution to, you know, prove to their show case. the case and That's to true. prove their case. Right. You don't have to. But I feel like when your client's, like, life is yeah. on the line, like, yeah. come up with some kind of evidence to show that he's not guilty, you know, or at least to like yeah. plant some kind of seed of reasonable doubt. But to totally. present no evidence is or witnesses is... Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. On April 29th, 2021, on what would have been the three-year anniversary of Molly and James's wedding, closing arguments were presented to the jury. The state said that Molly had been getting suspicious of James, and that's why she was looking for Melanie's obituary, but she wasn't able to find one. They said it was for that reason that everyone was in the court that day hearing jury instructions for Molly's murder. They said that over the seven-year affair, James learned how to become a master manipulator, and he had both Molly and Melanie fooled. And they said he used these same tactics to lure Molly to her murder, and he was using the same tactics to try to manipulate the jury. They said James strung Molly along until the very last day and then threw her out like a piece of trash. 
The text he sent himself proved that he planned to murder Molly and was attempting to stage an alibi. Molly trusted James with her whole being, which is why she was so willing to drive out to the middle of nowhere in her pajamas to meet him. When the other motorist, the guy Glenn, approached the creek crossing, James was in the middle of cleaning up the crime scene, and he started driving his car forward towards Glenn in an effort to cut him off and prevent him from driving any closer to the murder scene. Although Glenn didn't get a good look at James's face, his description of an older white male did match James's basic description, as did the description of the car, which Glenn again described as being a grandma-style car. They pointed out that the path back to James's house was a straight shot and that he threw evidence out the window as he drove and then showered and did laundry immediately upon returning to his house. And then they said that's when he sent texts and calls to try to create a better alibi. James's defense continued to claim his innocence and said James loved Molly. After just two and a half hours of deliberating, the jury found James guilty on both counts. They deliberated over the sentence they thought he should get and came back with a recommendation of 20 years. James was immediately sentenced to 20 years for the armed criminal action count, but would have another sentencing for the murder conviction several months later. In July, that hearing took place. James read a love letter that he wrote to Molly and asked the judge for a new trial on the grounds that his attorney did not present all the available evidence in the case, claiming that his attorney refused to present anything James brought forward. He claimed his counsel had no strategy and did not do a thorough job of representing him. In addition to claiming that they didn't present all the evidence, James also alleged that his attorney should have questioned his wife Melanie and his daughter better when it came to his whereabouts and his demeanor that night. I don't know what he was getting at there. I don't know. I don't know really what he was getting at there either. So he wanted to present evidence that one of Molly's exes might have had a motive to kill her. And he claimed that he gave his attorney evidence that she was actually being stalked by an ex-boyfriend with a history of violence. And James's attorney, of course, didn't comment on this allegation, which I wouldn't expect the attorneys to comment on much at this point. The judge noted that James chose not to take the stand in his defense during his trial, but he said that was because his lawyer told him not to. He said if he had known how incompetent his lawyer was going to be, he would have taken the stand. The judge told James that he was going to be sentenced, but he could bring all those complaints up on appeal if he so desired. James ended up being sentenced to life in prison without parole for Molly's murder. Once he was sentenced, the judge reduced the 20-year sentence for the armed criminal action down to 10 years to be served consecutively. Prosecutors were happy with the outcome and felt that justice had been served. They said, quote, his actions destroyed two families, the family of his victim, Molly Watson, and his own. While nothing can bring Miss Watson back to her family who loved her very much, society can send the strong message that violent crime will not be tolerated. James did appeal his convictions and sentences. He did not contest that there was enough evidence to convict him. Instead, he appealed on one point only, that the tire tracks evidence shouldn't have been allowed in trial because it wasn't reliable science. James didn't mention anything about his defense attorney being inadequate in these That's appeals. That's weird. Yeah. Feels like that would be like your go-to. That's right. what happens a lot of times, but that's weird. Yeah. So the appeal court ended up affirming his convictions and sentences, and he is currently incarcerated in an out-of-state prison. This is so sad, and it really feels like it could have gone a couple ways. It it looks like he was desperate because of the situation that he put himself in. But when he says that he his wife Melanie died, there's a moment where you think, was he planning on killing Melanie? Melanie, right. Because he's already – we've heard that before where somebody says, oh, my wife is dead, my wife is dead. And then guess what? The wife right. has to die because that's part of the narrative. So, I mean, I have chills even just thinking about that, how that has to feel in that family because what was he, what was he doing? Right. There was no end game. And yet, when the police come to the house, he immediately says, I was having an affair. Right. Really? No one had to die. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. It's just terribly sad. I just feel so much, like I said, for Molly's family, especially her brother. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And her son. She had a little boy. I mean, it's just terrible. And then James's family, he, you know, all this for what? Like, you were never going to get married. You no, I know. Exactly. It just that's the part that's so maddening and like it was in the story a couple of weeks ago yes. where it's like just 
why? Why continue this this big, massive lie to the point where it turns into you actually feel like your only way out of it is to kill someone? Like that is, I it just blows right. my mind. I just I will never understand that. Me either. It, it's it's maddening. That's the word for it. Yeah. Okay, Melissa, are you ready to turn the page and move on to last thing before we go for this week? I think I am. Yes. So last week, I told my crazy story about forgetting to pick my kids up from school and kind of tied it into a fun little conspiracy Try to make yourself feel better. Yes. (laughs) About um, quantum immortality, I think is what that actually is. It's timeline shifting. I don't know. So as everybody knows, I'm a big Reddit follower. I'm just a lurker. Melissa... I wanted to go into some more stories about these types of things that happen to people, these strange, unexplained things. So as you said, there were a few people in the Instagram poll who were playing along and humoring us and saying that they thought I had dumped timelines. But there's a lot of people who actually think this could be possible. And they are all on Reddit. (laughs) They're posting anonymously on Reddit. And they're posting anonymously on Reddit. (laughs) So Melissa, didn't you – did you have a story or did you have a thing I did. Mine was – well, it was just this lamp thing. Remember I was telling you about this crazy lamp story that was apparently really popular on Reddit? I, I mentioned it on the other episode, but it was this guy who says that he was in college. He gets like knocked over by this football player, and I guess he is unconscious while he's on the ground, right? But during this time, he says he lived a completely different life. He finds this lady. He gets married. Um, he dated her for weeks. The couple gets married after two years. He has a daughter. He has a son. He has this entire life while he's unconscious, right? And so then I'll read this quote. He says, but one day I was sitting on the couch and noticed that the perspective of the lamp was odd, like inverted. It was still in 3D, but just wrong. It was a square lamp base, red with gold trim on four legs and a white square shade. I was transfixed. I couldn't look away from it. I stayed up all night staring at it. The next morning, I didn't go to work. Something wasn't right about the lamp. So basically, he just keeps staring at this lamp. The colors are changing. Everything's changing. All of this stuff ends up getting off the ground. A police officer helps him up, walks him to the police car or whatever. And he literally says, I lived an entire life. I was mourning my wife. I was mourning my child. Then he goes what? on to say he's he has three years of like terrible depression because he has this entire life that he really thinks he lived. He felt like he was going insane. And he says he still sees his son sometimes. It's usually just a glimpse out of his peripheral vision. And he's perpetually five years old and he can never hear what he says. That freaks oh me out. Oh my gosh. I hate that story. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. But that's what I was like, for whatever reason, that's what I was feeling when you were talking about the time kind of thing just because he was like it was like 10 minutes maybe and he lived you know in his mind he lived eight years or something crazy so anyway it's just wild for him to then grieve this family that he thought he lived but he didn't really or maybe you know i don't know i don't know that is really wild it definitely definitely sounds like a timeline jumping story (laughs) oh my gosh okay (laughs) Okay, so I pulled a couple that I just saw recently off of Reddit, and Mm -hmm. they are definitely unsettling in many ways. I love the stories where there's more than one person involved. So it's like not just this one person had this experience, but like somebody else was with them. Because then I'm like, hmm, it makes it a little more like validated to me that it's not just like this one crazy person. Now it's two crazy people. (laughs) And sometimes they're married to each other, like you and your husband. Exactly. Sometimes they are. Okay, so the title of the post was just not sure what to make of this one. So it says, driving home from holiday and in the last leg of the trip, my friend and I are in an area we know very well. After turning onto the highway, my road is just five minutes from there. After about five minutes goes by, I'm looking for my road and suddenly the fog cleared and I'm pulling into the small town 20 minutes down the highway. Both my friend and I are completely floored and trying to figure out how it happened. It was 6.30 a.m. We were both completely sober and super caffeinated. Both of us were watching the road and there is no way we went over the bridge before town. So we started backtracking the whole time confused as to how this could have happened. We made it back to my road and halfway up the road... Are stop, we are stopped by a gigantic fallen tree. The lady on the site said it happened right in front of her just less than 10 minutes ago. We would have been going up the road at that time. Both of us felt very sick and unsettled. 
I mean, okay. At first, the story, I was like, cool, whatever. I feel like sometimes I drive places and I have no idea how I even got there. Right. You like zone out when you're driving. I know. And I'm like, oh, did I like stop at the red light? Was the light red? I hate that's the worst feeling. Am I being chased by the police because (laughs) I've broken a bunch of traffic laws? Um, But yeah, that has to be so unsettling to come back and see that. I don't know how I feel about that anonymous poster on Reddit, but that is – that would be a very unsettling feeling to have. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So here's another one that's just really strange with t- another person. And then this might be my last one. I have another one after this, but we'll see. This one's very okay. odd. Um, so the post says, I never really celebrate my birthdays that big and usually just have my best friend over. We put some pizzas into the oven, set a timer, and I went to my room and chatted with my friend for a little bit. We came out a few minutes later to see how much time was left. When we came into the kitchen, my mom was helping my little sister with her homework. We stood there and looked at the timer for a while when suddenly it seemed to just stop for a solid 10 seconds or so. I looked around confused. So like the the timer is counting down by seconds. And so they said it just stopped for like what seemed like 10 solid seconds or so. I looked around confused and so did my friend. At first, I thought that our oven might have just had a technical issue. But when I looked at my mom and sister, they seemed to be completely frozen. And then time just went on again. I didn't think much of it while eating the pizzas. I didn't think much of it. But then while we were eating the pizzas, my friend asked me if that one second also appeared oddly long to me. Now this has mainly become an inside joke between me and my friend, but I still think about it as it just seems so weird. (laughs) Okay. That's actually where you lose me with the friend saying, was that one second long to you? Because that's a weird, that's a weird thing. But the rest of it... Like to look and everyone's frozen. And then all of a sudden everyone just starts moving again. Like, oh (laughs) my gosh, that's too much. That would, I I would put myself in the microwave after that. I don't think I could handle anything like that. Oh my gosh. I know. And then this one, I don't have like a whole uh, thing about, but I like read it. But um, I read the story. Um, right. And a lot of them are like this, right? So this, it was this lady and she was in her second floor apartment unpacking groceries after her and her boyfriend went on a trip and they were talking in the kitchen while she was unloading things into the refrigerator. So she said that she turned around to put something away. And when she looked back, her boyfriend was completely gone, had just like disappeared. So she's confused. She thought that he just like walked into another room or like he was playing some kind of a joke on her or something. So she starts walking around the apartment looking for him and doesn't find him anywhere. So then she's like, what is going on? Like, we were just having a conversation. And uh, she looks on their patio. Of course, they're on the second floor and she doesn't see him there. But then she notices, like, when she's has looking out the patio, has the door open, she sees him downstairs at the car getting groceries out. But she said, like, she didn't have a clue how he could have made it down the stairs so quick. They were just upstairs talking. And when he got back upstairs... He knocked on the door because the door was locked and he didn't have his keys. So in the post, she says that like where her kitchen is, where she was unloading groceries, like you can see the front door for the apartment. And she said like, how would he have left without me seeing or hearing him leave? And how would the door get locked behind him where he would still be downstairs? When he came upstairs, he had no recollection of this incident, didn't didn't remember having any conversation with her. And she just says she cannot understand what happened which obviously you wouldn't (laughs) be able to understand what happened okay now that would scare me more it's one thing for your person to understand and like say that's weird but it's another thing for you to have had a completely different situation from somebody you trust and love and like have committed your life to and them to be like that didn't happen that would that would yeah. send me. But the door locked away. like after they had already been home unloading groceries. And then like, I mean, the only thing I could think is like she was just in her own world and came upstairs on a trip by herself and locked the door behind her and didn't realize he like wasn't thinking that he was still downstairs. Sure. But I'm like, why would you think you were having a whole conversation then unless you were just like, maybe she was having a conversation in her head or thinking about a conversation she wanted to have. But like, that's the only ex- explanation I can think of is that. Sh- but I don't know. I don't like I don't that know. at all. It's dark and it's kind of rainy here. And <laughs> this is January. It's not October. Why are we doing this? Let's save the next time we do this for Halloween. Spooky <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Sorry to bring your whole uh, year uh, starting off like this. This is a good sign, right? Yes. Yeah. So if you like those kinds of stories and you are on Reddit, you can follow those subreddits that I follow. Um, one is Quantum Immortality and the other one is Glitch in the Matrix. There are oh, some okay. wild stories on there. <laughs> some of them I, I don't believe. Some of them definitely sound like 
creative writing. I almost said old wives' <laughs> tales. Um, yeah, I just like to think that ChatGPT does some of these. Yes. Things, like write a crazy story. But yeah. yeah, it is. Oh, I don't. But I have I had some like strange this. experiences. Like, I mean, there's definitely been things that I'm like, I don't, I have no explanation, but I don't like dwell on them necessarily and think that it was some, it's just something I can't explain. You know, like I've had right. situations where I've like narrowly avoided a car accident, but I have sure. no real explanation for how I didn't, you know, how yeah, I yeah. avoided the accident. You know, it's just, there's stuff that happens. I don't know, sometimes yeah. in life that you just can't explain. Next week, we'll be discussing deja vu. Right. <laughs> um, but really, i that's one I don't understand. How does that happen? How do you... Oh, my gosh. I'm going to end up on Reddit. I, know. I don't like Don't think this. too much. <laughs> I never do. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, in the meantime, if you want, we have a new episode, Mandy, that you would actually like for criminality. It's about Lindsay Lohan. Oh, my gosh. I love her. I love mm-hmm. her. And yeah. I love her even more right now. She just had a baby recently. Yes. And mm-hmm. I just follow her on Instagram. And she just looks so lovely and healthy. And I'm so she happy does. for her. Yeah, so if you want to listen to that, that's the new episode over there, which is a fun one. I knew you'd like that. Yes. Um, and otherwise, Mandy, we're we're GTG for this week. Good to go. Oh, good to go. I thought that meant got to go. That oh, also crap. does. Well, both, technically. Got to go. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we G2G. <laughs> GTG. <laughs> we'll be back <laughs> next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.